Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Fifth Walls podcast, where we talk to people on the front lines of decarbonizing the world. And uh, today I have the fantastic opportunity to talk to uh, Nicholas Johnson, who's the uh, founder of Orange Charger. Thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on your podcast. I'm a big fan of Fifth Wall's mission, so it's great to be here talking to you. Yeah, thank, thanks so much. Um, means a lot. Um, yeah, so before we hop into what it is that you and Orange Charger do and everything, I'm always fascinated by people's sort of founding stories um, and how you got here. Uh, it, it's always interesting to see how people's experiences either sort of culminated in them arriving at this place, or they maybe took a 90-degree orthogonal turn to get there. Um, but yeah, how, how do you find yourself here today? My story is a little bit interesting because this is my second company, and I wouldn't say my first one is what most entrepreneurs would call a smash success, um, <laughs> but it's still it's still doing well. So basically, um, out of college, I got a job at Tesla, uh, really a huge fan of EVs and, and wanted to be a part of the EV revolution. And at the time, Model 3 hadn't launched yet. So I was like, I'm graduating college this year. Model 3 is coming out. I know that car is going to change the entire industry if it's pulled off properly. And so I worked my butt off to get a job there. Um, and then worked there for about two years, um, where I met my current co-founder of this company, John Thomas, uh, working on the thermal team of Model 3's vehicle program. Um, and then I decided that I'd kind of always had the entrepreneurial bug. I love the idea of starting companies and, and being from the ground up and working in, in every aspect of the, the project from sales to marketing. I was like, there's no one going to teach me that, so I've got to go do it. Um, and another friend at Tesla, uh, we got an NSF grant together while working at Tesla, and we had to leave the company to go pursue this kind of traffic management thing. We wanted to see if we could get vehicles to communicate more efficiently. And so that was my first startup. Um, and then I learned really quickly how much I did not enjoy selling to government. Um, so our <laughs> products uh, basically sold to government entities because we were controlling traffic lights, uh, using real-time data to better manage them so you get more green lights, basically, was the idea of it. And you're like li literally in the critical loop, like people's lives depend on this. So I can see there being quite a lot of pushback on this. Yeah, actually, the the pushback was like minimal. Uh, we got on streets insanely fast, um, so that was a really fun one with that company. It's also terrifying to think of. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, there's actually safety to stop us from doing anything bad, so they knew that there was hardware in each box that stopped us from causing accidents um, if our software failed completely. But basically, we were running in the cloud and, and doing that. But basically, I was getting burnt out going from city to city and getting pilots and trying to get them to convert. And I wasn't enjoying that as much. And uh, some of the angel investors in that previous company are also very, let's say, major EV enthusiasts in, in the space. They uh, have lead certified homes and are like directors and very involved in like building codes and EV infrastructure um, and have been for longer than I've been alive. Um, and so I was talking with them over at dinner about this problem. And the company here in uh, San Mateo called Peninsula Clean Energy, which buys the electricity for the county, um, was trying to find a way to get more people in electric vehicles 
in multi-unit properties specifically, which is like single family homes, you're going to install your level two charger, but for level, for anything multi-unit. So we started talking about this over at dinner and I started drafting up some drawings being like, I could probably put this together. And they kind of hired me to consult it. And then I took a breather after getting a little burnt out in Europe and saw how many cars are still gas and how hard it's going to be to get all these really dense cities to convert. Um, and we don't have good solutions for that. And Model 3 was taking off and sales for EVs were taking off. So I'll dive into that a little bit further. But basically, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. This is like my calling. It's like everything I love, which is like hardware, software, um, and back in the space that it, it felt was really going to accelerate in the next few years. And if I didn't jump, I'd miss it. So I convinced another friend from Tesla. Uh, seems to be a trend here. We all convince <laughs> each other to do dumb things. Um, to uh, join me on this endeavor. And for the last year and a half, we've been working on bringing up our product and getting uh, through all the certifications to sell a hardware product like this and build out our software solution to solve this problem specifically. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Um, I don't know if I'd ever do anything other than being an entrepreneur, to be honest. Now it's it's way too much fun. So You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be tempted to go back to te Tesla World at some point? No, not, not at all. Um, I actually have, I have dinner and I'm still friends with a lot of my ex-managers and directors. I actually had dinner with an old manager last night and uh, we were talking about it and Tesla's great, but uh, it's become the juggernaut of the automotive industry. And with that comes its corporate problems. Um, so it's lost some of that charm that made me want to work there so badly, which was kind of the scrappy, get it done attitude of let's make something amazing. And now it's trying to solve its scaling and growth problems, which interests me a lot less in the long term. And so, yeah, no, I don't see myself going back. This is way more fun. Well, well, let's hope that that Orange Charger has the uh, the terrible problem of getting so large that it also has scaling problems, and therefore you decide to leave Orange Charger as well because uh, it's it's too big. Um, but I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think just to sort of lead into that because you because you started uh, describing this a little bit, and it is a massive problem that you're trying to solve. What is this problem um, that really inspired you so much? So I learned uh, after doing my first company, the main thing you have to do as a startup founder um, is really focus on the problem. And uh, somebody put this beautifully to me. I think it's you got to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. A lot of founders and tech, especially tech founders with engineering backgrounds, fall in love with the tech, not the problem. Yeah. And that's when you end up with a solution searching for a problem, which is absolutely not the right way to start a product company, right? No. So I started this by surveying a ton of EV drivers. Um, I actually surveyed about 1,800 people that drive electric vehicles over the last year and a half. Um, and what we found was really interesting. So I actually, I was the proponent on the other side saying like, if I'm going to leave my job that I just worked my butt off for three years to build, um, it better be a good reason. And the other guys were giving me why these were good reasons. So they'd done the market research. They'd seen the problem for years. Um, they're on the front lines of trying to get charging into multi-unit dwellings, um, specifically like five, six duplexes all the way up to hundred unit complexes. And so I started asking the questions as if I was the investor. Like if I was going to do this, the investor has to have it. And so everybody wants level two charger, which is where I started. DC fast charging is going to solve it. I looked at it all. Um, and we can dive into that. I think would be really fun. But the, the thing that really came out was this problem is really a noticeable in any metro area and, and really anywhere that has lots of multi-unit dwellings, whether it's like Redwood City, which has a lot of five and six unit mom and pop shops all the way up to like three or 400 unit apartment complexes owned by like the biggest real estate companies in the country. Um, the issue is how do you charge a car overnight? And, and you can't own an electric vehicle conveniently. So I own an electric vehicle and I was trying to move. And at the time I was like, where could I move to that has EV charging? And I was asking all these, you know, uh, property owners, property managers, 
if I could install charging and I got a lot of no's or I got a lot of like, I don't even know what that looks like or what does that take? And, uh, ended up finding a really great guy that is our landlord now where I live. And he let me install the charger at like no cost. He just, I just paid for it. Um, and he ended up being one of our first like beta customers. So we ended up installing some of our like super early outlets, at two or three of his other properties. Cause he thought the idea was so interesting. Um, and that was really helpful. So the problem is basically that if you own an EV, you have to have a place to know you can plug it in. Otherwise you don't have the confidence to buy it. And it's a huge hurdle. And so the way we go about solving this is we looked at like, how do people currently charge out of those 1,800 people we surveyed? And what we found was most of them don't use the level two chargers that everybody's trying to sell to these multi-unit from charge point to blink, you name it. They're selling these thousand dollar networks chargers that have payment pack-ins and then the networking cost. And you go talk to a property and the last thing they want to deal with is charging. They don't, that's not their business. They have like, they're trying to, most of them are trying to just make returns on their investments. So they're very like, I don't want a $10,000 charging setup in my property that I have to manage and break down. So we looked at that and we worked around a solution that removed a lot of those barriers. We saw EV adoption going up. So it was kind of perfect timing. Model 3's best-selling mid-sized car here in uh, the Bay Area. It seems like you see one everywhere you go, if not multiple in a parking lot. And so they were showing up now in properties and people were asking for charging. So now the property owners were looking and going, okay, I need a solution for this if I'm going to keep these tenants around. Um, or like, and this is something that I probably have to consider here soon. And so we did an interview of both, but what I found so fascinating was about 51% of the people we surveyed charge off just a plug, like a 120 outlet. Uh, they just, that's what they need. And everybody that doesn't own an EV is being sold in the media or thinks they need like a huge, powerful 30 amp circuit, uh, to charge their car. And so our approach or our solution is really an outlet. Uh, it's an IOT connected outlet. It's designed to be cheaper than chargers. And then our kind of bread and butter is the hands-off software approach for managing payments. So the other side of this is if we're going to change where the gas station is located, like let's think like hypothetically, um, what we're seeing right now is this disconnect between where the gas stations are going to be and how people think about charging. Um, So one of the big problems we saw was uh, there's kind of a rhetoric right now about DC fast charging. People are trying to get their cars to charge as fast as possible. Ironically, if you go into any EV user manual, it says keep the car plugged into a 120 at minimum as much as possible. Uh, like keep the battery at 90%. So oh yeah, fast charging is terrible for your battery. Absolutely. It's not terrible, uh, but it will degrade your battery lifespan faster than if you just slow charge. So like if you plan on keeping the car a long time or secondhand cars, DC fast charging is worse on the battery. It's just, it's, there's no way around it. Um, actually coming from the thermal team at Tesla, it's one of the most thermally demanding times of an electric car is when it does DC fast charging, which is a complete paradigm shift to like a gas car, which is the most time that it's getting the most thermal issues is when it's at max RPM going as fast as possible. And you kind of have a benefit in that car that you can move air through the engine as fast as you're going. Yeah. When you're, when you're DC fast charging, your car is usually stationary. So you have to like figure out how to cool this thing in without any, you know, wind moving over the vehicle. Or we should figure out how to DC fast charge at 150 miles an hour. That's the other way to do it. Yeah, that, that's, that seems reasonable. <laughs> I don't know how long the cable would have to be, but I think it'd be a few miles. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so the other thing is we, we, don't, we don't not like DC fast charging at our company. We're really adamant that like, we don't want to be in the public charging space. We, we see that public charging for the most part is kind of a, a dead end long term. So putting a charger to Whole Foods didn't make sense to us. It was like, why would you do that? It's very, I've never used one. Like I've owned an electric car now for a decade and I've never gone to a Whole Foods and I'm like, I'm going to charge here. Um, 
I have used public chargers and a lot of them didn't work for me, which was like even worse. Um, and so I was like, this is still fragmented. But if I didn't have the knowledge I could plug in at home, I, I don't think I could actually own an electric car in my lifestyle. And that's probably the case for most people. And that's where we really want to solve. Well, I think that the issue, the issue here is, uh, is almost a, it's a behavior change and getting people to understand that owning an EV is actually different um, because what the whole market is, is uh, being led to understand is, oh, you need things that look like gas stations, which is kind of what, what you were saying. And therefore, there should be places where I can go to charge because if I've got a gas car, I go somewhere to fill it up. But the thing is, is that I, I can't remember the specific stats here, but the vast majority of cars spend like 80 to 90% of their time not moving around and not driving around. They're sitting in your garage overnight, right? So just charge it in your garage overnight on a normal plug, right? And when people don't know this about EVs, they think like, oh, I need to go and buy the EV from the company that has the biggest charging network. And it's like, no, actually, the vast majority of the time, you're never going to touch that EV charging network. And the same as you have owned two electric cars, I've never charged at a public charger other than when I'm on like a long road trip, you know, a couple hundred miles. In day-to-day -day stuff, never done it. Yeah, you, you basically treat it like a normal car. I go to park it in a normal parking lot. I don't worry about filling it up or like somebody used to call it opportunity charging. And when battery packs were small, you had to think about opportunity charging more. Like you you did want public charging. But that was when you had 70 miles of range in your car. And realistically, that 70 mile range is more like 50 because if you like to drive with a lead foot and or have fun, it's, it's not going to last. So yeah, I totally agree with that premise. And I think that's what we really were trying to solve is we want to figure out how to make it so every parking spot in every multi-unit dwelling and potentially workplace has somewhere you could plug an electric car in because it sits there for at least eight hours if you're getting your proper sleep a night. Um, and usually longer because most people go home first, have dinner, watch some TV, and then go to bed. So you got like 10 to 12 hours a day that people's cars are sitting at home, which is more than enough time to drive, fill up for their da daily driving and commuting, um, which we found is about 30 miles a day. Um, it's the average here in the San Mateo County and across the country, it's sometimes even less depending on the size of the metropolitan area. Um, and then there's super commuters who do drive like a hundred miles a day. And then they're in a little bit of a different boat because they're probably going to need to charge at home and or, or at work. Um, but the idea is that you can effectively install this infrastructure for so much cheaper. Um, when you're looking at like a supercharger, which is 120 K per port, you, you, you don't really scale that. Or if you're looking at like EVgo or Electrify America, they're really great for road trips and they do need to exist, but I, we feel it's the automotive companies that have the most benefit of doing that, to having that network to sell their cars. But for the day-to-day -day owners to get people in, you got to figure out how to change the gas station. And, and that's kind of also where we really are adamant. A lot of companies mark up the cost of electricity. We don't. Um, we have a fee that we charge, and then we hope that fee adds a lot of data and value and insights that allow you to conveniently get access to electricity across our network. But we make sure the property owner can't profiteer off the electricity. So if the electricity costs the property owner 18 cents here in San Mateo at night between you know the, the off-peak hours or 48 cents in the afternoon because you're charging at peak hours, we'll let you know that. And we'll charge you that a price. And we pass it on and reimburse the property owner for that amount. We don't allow them to profiteer off this. And our rationale is that they're adding an asset so they can profiteer elsewhere, hopefully by rent or like, you know, collecting tenants they're willing to pay more, better tenants, whatever they their value add to their ROI of keeping their place rented, really is the way we look at it. 
uh, and the other side of this is we don't think it's logical because if you basically say I live in a single family home um, and I get to go to the gas station and pay two dollars or yeah two dollars for gas and now you live in a multi unit dwelling you know same gas station on the corner but you're going to pay three dollars for gas that's kind of what we're seeing happening in the EV charging space with the way we're pricing electricity. Um, and the problem with that business model is one, electricity is really cheap. So you're saving thousands of year as, as a driver, but it's not equitable. Um, and so something we've talked about a lot with like California Department of Energy um, is the equitability of charging and access to charging across all demographics, which is very not, uh, as I say, it's, it's very skewed at this moment with the current look. And then the other stat that I was really got me fired up was uh, someone, someone, one of our investors pulled some data from the DMV records and showing how many electric cars are registered to single family homes that have been sold and how many have been registered to multi-unit dwellings. And, and then it was like a very skewed result. Again, again, if you look at like, so the other side effect you have to have taken into account is how many people actually live in multi-unit dwellings. And so we have that data. It's pretty easy. We keep track of it. Census every four years. Census is great data for founders, by the way. Uh, if you don't use it, you're a fool. Uh, the if 40% of basically people in the United States are renters of some kind. Um, and out of that 40%, about 36% live some sort of like duplex or multi-unit dwelling. Um, so if you take into account that there's 40, 40 something percent of the population uh, lives in some sort of multi-unit dwelling, well, only 9% of EVs are registered to it. So like it's, it's very skewed out of the entire EV. It shows that like almost 90% of EV owners right now live in single family homes. And so we really want to solve that. So that's our solution. We, we, we've built a, a hardware, software, synced platform that makes it as easy as possible for a property owner to offer access to electricity and be reimbursed for the energy. And the, the concept around it is how do you bring the cost of infrastructure installation down too? So the wire, the, the complexity, the software. So everything's simplified to basically be as easy as possible to install. So maybe just sort of in, in round numbers, because I think you've danced around this a little bit. Your, your system is simpler and cheaper to install. Um, but let's say they're looking at two different offerings, an orange charger on a price per parking spot in a multifamily versus someone else's sort of level two solution. What's the all-in cost savings that they see from going with someone like you? It's often like five times cheaper to install our solution than like a level two charger from the name brands. Um, our charger comes in at two ninety nine, um, so each outlet comes in at two ninety nine, which is on the higher side for outlets, but uh, low side for charging and also electrical work. Um, and then the electrical cost is usually less because uh, the permitting's cheaper actually for outlets than EVSE equipment. Uh, the wire and the complexity of the install is easier, and the amount of so the other thing people miss is. There's a panel capacity issue. Uh, I'd love to get into this some more, actually. So the panel capacity issue is actually something we keep running into and see is like the probably the biggest hurdle to widespread EV adoption. So for people that don't understand what panel capacity is, basically your house is hooked up to the grid through a transformer and then the wires run to the building. That wire and that transformer dictate how much energy can be pulled from the grid into the, the house or the units. And then it goes to usually a sub panel with meters on it that break out to each unit in a multi-unit dwelling. And so you might have some extra capacity that you can use to charge a car. Um, in a single family home, this actually sometimes is an issue where you have to do a panel upgrade to or something to install a charger at 40 amps. Um, so to put in perspective, a, a car is basically like a dryer running for eight hours straight. Like it's one of, it's going to be one of the most energy use, like in, highest energy consumers 
uh, in the future for people if if they're electric bill. Um, really, what that comes out to for most people is like thirty to fifty dollars a month, right? Okay, that's like a tank of gas every two weeks, depending on what car you drive. But now it's like once a month. But the other side of it is the last mile delivery is kind of how I put it for electricity is the same problem Amazon has with like last mile delivery. It's so complex and it's so variable. There could be like a multi-unit dwelling with a 1950s breaker in it and you go to install a charger and you turn off to upgrade the whole thing. So that's like one of the things we try to, we try to use the spare panel capacity to offer as many people access to charging as possible. So the other thing that Orange Outlet allows us to do by not being super high power, we can install more of them than you could with like a level two where you maybe get one or two in, we can get five, six, seven in. Um, so you get five or six people now with the convenience to charge versus one or two. And the other side of this where we kind of see, there's a lot of companies doing sharing where they'll have level two chargers and they'll monitor the charge of the state of the battery and run intelligent software and they'll, they'll turn on and off chargers. It doesn't make sense to us because it's adding cost and complexity and potentially areas of failure uh, when all you really need to do is charge for 10 hours for every car yeah, just charge slower just charge slower <laughs> and and the other side of that is like the the doesn't matter if the car charges for four hours and gets the same amount of energy or 10 hours if you have to switch the car at midnight you're not going to so someone else can't park in so the shared charging in multi-unit dwellings is also a challenge uh so our outlet allows each person in a sense to have access guaranteed they know what they're going to get and they know they can charge their car yep um yeah, so I would say that out of our corporate LPs, you know, the ones who who run multifamilies, this is uh, pretty much the number one thing that I hear from them is we've got tenants moving in, they want charges. We, you know, a year ago we're hearing about one of these a month. Now it's like one every day as an issue. Um, so this is clearly on the upswing. Um, what do you really see as the the long term outcome here for for Orange Charger? Like, what what are you really trying to build and uh, and uh, if, uh, what does success look, for, look like for you? Yeah, we actually, uh, so we don't actually see ourselves as a charging company. I know that's a little weird to say because we're selling charging. We see ourselves as an energy company in a sense. We, we, we help you get electrons into your battery. Um, and we help property owners in a sense create uh, a solution and a, and a value prop to them that allows them to help accelerate who can own electric cars. So for us, our future is we're like every parking spot in almost every apartment complex across the country has some way for someone to plug in. Um, and some management way for the person who's paying for the electricity to get paid back for it. Um, a lot of times we're tapping off of like a house meter where we're, we're tapping off where the property owner is paying for the meter in the parking garage. Um, and so they want to get paid back. They don't want to cover a like hundred or 50 or even five people's uh, electric bill for their charging their car overnight. And to put some numbers on that, I think this is where like a little, it's a little different. Uh, we have some really interesting numbers. So on average, an apartment complex will use like 18 kilowatt hours a day. Um, charging a car on average for a daily commute is 24 kilowatt hours a night. So like you're, you're actually using more energy charging your car than you are using your appliances that are like on and off, on and off your TV, your stove. Um, so with that in mind, you're kind of adding this new thing. Now imagine if your property owner had to cover that, they're not going to be stoked. So it's kind of like you don't want to steal from them. So that's one thing. The other side of this is we haven't solved the last problem we told you about completely yet. We, we're working on solutions to solve it. But it's that last mile capacity issue that's going to be a bottleneck as EV adoption continues to rapidly grow. And we're hoping it rapidly grows. I hope to see like 50 and 60% of cars on the road in the next decade being fully electric or hybrid at least. Um, the climate impact of it, the health impacts of it, the air quality impacts of it, there's so many benefits to it. I actually, uh, to me, it's a huge impact because we can then 
invest in the infrastructure of how electricity is transported and, and made and and we can get cleaner and we get the, the compounding effect. If we just make our grid cleaner, but our cars stay gas, we don't get the compounding effect. If the energy going to your car is clean and the grid's clean, it's like a compounding effect. Uh, and so you get a win-win. And you also, where cars pollute is usually closer to you, where power plants produce coal and emissions is usually further away from you. So the health benefits increase. You get better air to breathe. Uh, it's nicer to be out. It's quieter roads. Those are all benefits that I think are great for communities. But uh, the energy side of the sector we're kind of looking at is our, is our long-term vision is how do we help overcome that last mile delivery problem and, and create an, a business model that's really compelling for property owners where they actually end up in a sense becoming their own little gas stations uh, for their, their tenants. And I think there's a critical mass that we have to hit with EVs before that business model works. Um, and so what Orange is really doing is we're laying our foundation now. We're, we're putting outlets as many as we can into properties. And we, we know when they're maxed out and they're being used every night, we'll go back and be like, hey, are you ready to like, do you have more EVs that want to charge? We have a solution for you. And so like, that's like a long-term goal. Yep. Yeah. I think the, the way I sort of think about it is the average gas station in America sells about a million gallons of gas at around about $3 million worth of revenue for that gasoline. Let's ignore, you know, all of the candy and snacks. Um, that $3 million at every single gas station in America over the next like 15 years is going to shift over to the energy companies and landlords and building owners, right? This is going to be a massive redistribution of one of the largest revenue streams in the entire economy, right? Um, and so people need to get on top of this. The number of gas stations is also fascinating. There's only like 300,000 something gas stations, which seems like not very many. Um, and so if you do the math out backward, you can kind of figure out how many gallons of gas have to go to each gas station, how many gas stations are in metropolitan areas that are needed for like the, the demographic. It's really interesting math on how many gas stations there are and how many how much, many gas stations an area can actually support because of what you just said, the business model. And what's even more mind-boggling, most of them are privately owned. Like you might see Shell and Chevron and Arco, uh, but they're actually like uh, franchises. Like the gas station is usually owned by some local dude. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, more so than many of my other conversations, I, I can see a bunch of our multifamily um, partners here being super excited to reach out and, and learn more and get, get your charges into their parking spots. So uh, where can people fi find uh, more about Orange Charger and uh, where can they reach out to you? We have our website, orangecharger.com. Uh, you can schedule a meeting with one of either me or my sales, my other sales guy. So we're still a really small company. Um, we're actually ramping up production right now and doing our first installs this month. So we've uh, we built our first hundred units, and now we're looking at we just ordered parts for another hundred. So um, we're we're about probably a few months away from being able to really scale up our CM um, and start really getting past our pre-orders, and then. Uh, if you want to jump online, we're always looking for more places to keep scaling. Uh, our main focus right now is California, but if you're outside of California, we're happy to talk to you too. Um, we actually just shipped some units to um, Vermont yesterday. Uh, so they wanted to do a pilot with the energy company and they, they were cool. So we were like, okay, well, we'll work with you on this as we keep bringing up our software. But yeah, the, the main thing is find us at orangecharger.com and uh, we really want to make it really easy for you. So we actually help with uh, the install and finding the electricians. So if you, you basically bring us on and uh, we make sure you get outlets on as many walls as possible for you. Um, and the other thing to note, we've actually been working with a lot of local um, energy commissions. So in some cases, like here in San Mateo County, the install is free um, for almost all of it. So we can cover up to some percentage of the install cost with local grants, um, which is really compelling to a property owner who might not want to invest the, the 10K it will cost to put outlets on walls for charging. Um, but 
they want to add value or they have tenants that need it. It just gets better and better. Fantastic. So if, if you've got multifamily, uh, you're looking for charges that all in are somewhere around five times cheaper than some of the other stuff you would have seen, uh, you should reach out, uh, orangechargers.com. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Um, super excited to chat with you, Nicholas. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's a, it's a cool idea you guys got going here, looking at companies that help solve the building problems. And I think that's an overlooked space in the tech world. It's, we're so caught up with bits and bytes, we sometimes miss that there's still concrete and rebar that we live in. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, We can't see the forest for the trees. Thanks so much. Good to chat. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com.